O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning, as we did before, because you are sovereign and in control, and even in this, Lord, even in coming before your scripture, Lord, we could read it again and again and again and get nowhere without you. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would be present, illuminating our eyes to understand more of who you are, to make you more than just dry facts on a piece of paper before us and to make you something that we experience and live and delight in. Lord, we want you to be our all in all. We want to be able to sing along with this psalmist, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth, and mean it. Right to the very marrow of our bones, Lord. So we pray that you would be present this morning, that you would work through me, that you'd give everybody here the ears to be able to hear Lord, and help us to be able to lay aside any of those things that are distracting us, whether it be from, from our own simple selves or even from the evil one, Lord. Let us fix our eyes and be sanctified this morning for your purposes alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Tell me, first question for the morning, do you grasp the immensity of God's glory in creation? There are, back in the day, and they still use them a little bit, horses used to drive all the carriages and the carts, and they would, in order to get the horses from going from point A to point B without any distraction, they would apply blinders onto the sides of the horse's eyes. It would stop them from being able to see anything that was on the side of the road or behind them. They could get from A to B without any distraction. And it was great, works really well. And I think we seem to do a little bit of the same in our own lives. Many of us have gone back to work, we've become busy again, the holidays are over, and we are quickly getting goal-orientated. That first week back at work is hard because you have to get back to being goal-orientated. And we put the blinders back on. And it's great for getting goals achieved, from getting places from place A to place B. But what it does stop us from doing is being able to stop and smell the roses for a little bit. To be able to stop and actually perceive and be in awe of God in creation, the creation that surrounds us 
every day, the amazing things that we live in that God has given us. Well, the psalmist this morning is trying to take off our blinders so that we can spend some time simply being in awe of God, being in awe of his creation. Verse 1, this is what we're going to be doing this morning, doing exactly what the psalmist is doing and fixing our eyes upon the heavens. I don't have one with a moon in it, but lots of stars, the Australian outback. Is that getting darker or is it just me? Okay. Uh, Psalm 1 verse 8, this is not working. Oh, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And verse 3 says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, we begin to get a feeling of exactly what the psalmist is doing in this point in time. When he's musing about putting this psalm together, he's outside, looking, maybe strolling along, looking up at the stars, maybe laying on his back in the backyard of the palace, because it was David putting it together, and looking at the stars and the moon and just being in awe of God for a time. How wonderful his creation is, how big it is. Now, because we cannot just sit here in silence for the next few minutes, I thought I would share some space information, uh, particularly actually getting Louis Giglio uh, to do it, which is a video some of us may have seen from his series Indescribable. These aren't facts so that we can understand and grasp the immensity of God's glory in space, like a rubber ball in our own hands. This is actually more like coming to a comprehension that space and God's glory grasps us. The following video from Louis uh, should help us try and understand this a little bit better. We live in a little subdivision of the universe called the Milky Way Galaxy. In case you didn't know, that's where you live. Some of you are thinking you live in Shady Grove. No, you, you're living in the Milky Way Galaxy. That's your subdivision in the universe, a very big universe that we have to use something called a light year to get around in. You say, well, what's a light year? Well, that's how fast light travels in one year. And we know it's flying 186,000 miles a second. So if light goes 186,000 miles a second for a whole year, it goes 5.88 trillion miles in a year. And that's the measurement, or one of the main measurements we use to get around in the universe that God has created. That's how big it is. The foot, not going to help you in God's universe. The yard, of no value to you whatsoever in God's universe. The mile, insignificant. The kilometer, Matt, uh, not going to help you uh, getting around in God's universe. We have to use a ruler that is 5.88 trillion miles long to measure things in God's universe. And our home subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy, just came into being. It, cons it's con it consists of billions of stars. Just our subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy. Not hundreds, not millions, not hundreds of millions. Billions of stars in our home subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy. And scientists say that there are hundreds of billions of other subdivisions and galaxies in the known universe. This shot is where we live. It's a little snapshot of the Milky Way galaxy. If you zoom into this star-forming region, see something pretty amazing. This particular shot is a close-up of a star-forming region in our subdivision, taken by a friend of ours named Dr. David Block, who's an astronomer down at Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. 
And we were down there a few months ago, and he was telling us that if we were to count the billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, one star per second. So if we just started with any one of these, I don't know which one you want to pick. Um, let's just start with this one right here. And we, because I can reach it, and we start one, two, three, four, five. That looks like one, but I'm close enough to see it's two that are close together. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Let's go back over here. Twelve. You're like, oh, please don't count them all. If we counted all the stars in our subdivision, one per second, it would take 2,500 years just to count the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. If you want to get a glimpse of it, here's a composite shot of our subdivision, the Milky Way galaxy. It's taken by com combining hundreds of thousands of photographs. Now, obviously, we haven't managed to get outside of the Milky Way galaxy to take a picture of it, but... Um, NASA folks are pretty sure that's what it looks like. It has a, a barred nucleus. It's a barred spiral galaxy. You're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's 100,000 light years across. So if you want to go visit your neighbors on the other side of the subdivision, you just have to go 186,000 miles a second for 100,000 years, and boom, you're at their house. Um, in our little neighborhood home called the Milky Way Galaxy, you say, well, where are we? I'm, I'm looking for us on there. You know, we, we got to be right in the center, obviously. I'm sure we're right in that right there in that middle. No, we believe it or not, we're not even in the center of our own subdivision, okay? So affirming again tonight, it's not about you and it's not about me. We don't even live in the center of our own subdivision and you don't want to live in the center of the subdivision because it's scary in the center of the subdivision. We, you say, well, where do we live? Well, we live way out between a couple of the spiral arms. You don't want to live in there either because that's dangerous territory inside the bands. We live in that little clear zone between a couple of the bands, about two-thirds of the way out. We're living somewhere about there. And you're, you're like, well, I don't, I don't see me. No. Because we couldn't put a mark on the diagram that you could see that would be the right relative size to our solar system. You know, that's our little cul-de-sac in the subdivision. That we couldn't even put our solar system on here in relative size to the Milky Way galaxy for you to see. It's that small inside the Milky Way galaxy. Scientists say our solar system is the size of a quarter. And the Milky Way galaxy is the size of the North American continent. So our whole solar system is a quarter in the size of an area as big as the North American continent. We're not that consequential in our own subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Let me ask you a que the question again. Do you grasp the immensity of God's glory in creation? The answer is, is, of course, no. Were we to spend or were we to watch the best highlights reel uh, ever created or spend the rest of eternity even trying to grasp it, we wouldn't even see the outer edges of God's glory. The psalmist says that God's glory extends even beyond creation, beyond the heavens. That's amazing. But I pray this morning that as we continue, we will have just for a few moments thrown aside those blinders and simply been able to spend some time going, wow, God, that's amazing. You are amazing. You are majestic. And be able to say along with the psalmist, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. 
but it's here in this space. I think we get a sense from it, from what Louis was saying, that we begin to feel something that the psalmist is also feeling when he, he, shouts, he says in verse 4, it's a feeling of just smallness. We are tiny, tiny inside of God's creation. In verse 4, the psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? This isn't a question like, tell me God, what is man for? What are we made of? It's a question instead that highlights the psalmist's feeling of just tininess. Lord, what am I in, in comparison to you and all that you have done? Who am I? What is man? In comparison to God's immense majesty displayed in heaven. Last Sunday, my family and I were flying back into Adelaide uh, through uh, over the top of North Adelaide. And it was interesting just to even being able to look out of the window as you fly over, just a, a kilometre up. And you see everybody's lives playing out down below you. People driving from place to place like little ants moving around. You see houses of all different makes and shapes and sizes and expenses, the things that people spend their entire lives paying off. Yards that are filled with pools and trampolines. And all of them had one thing in common. Just from a kilometre up, they're tiny. They're all tiny. And suddenly everything, all of the material things that we work for become the size of kids' miniature toys. Verse 2 in this psalm speaks of us like being babies and infants. There's nothing smaller or weaker than a baby. No, nothing more incapable of achieving anything than a newborn baby. This is exactly how the psalmist is feeling in light of considering just how big God is as he stares up at the moon and the stars, that we are small and of little consequence in the universe. How can such a majestic God, one that creates moons and stars and galaxies that require measurements that we can't even conceive of, consider us to be of any value at all? We are such small and irrelevant creatures in the universe. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? This is the psalmist expression of just a feeling of maybe there's not much worth here. And it doesn't feel very good. But praise God because that is not where the psalmist leaves us. He quickly picks up. That is an initial feeling but he he picks up from there and goes on to tell us that this feeling of small worthlessness that we have because of our size is not the right feeling that we should have when considering the majesty of God in creation. We are not left thinking that man is nothing in the eyes of a majestic God, but instead told that God has a place for us, seemingly small us, in a position of rulership over the vast and immense beauty of his creation. Verses 5, 6, 7 and 8 so, <clears throat> sorry, say, Yet you have made him a little lower 
than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Can you believe that you and I have been put in a position of rulership over all of that and then into the universe beyond it? When we are just a speck inside of the whole universe. That is amazing. And the reason that the psalmist is proclaiming the majesty of the Lord in this psalm is not because of the size of creation or the beauty of the world. He is in awe of God because he is using infants to rule the universe. That God would put you and I in a position over all of creation. The psalmist is in awe, in awe that God would value humanity so much more than everything else he has made. Than all of the rest of creation. We are still small in stature, but God has made us big in value. It is God's elevation of the small, the weak, to become so much more and do so much more that is truly majestic about him. Psalm 8 verse 2 says that out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. These verses set up a dynamic at the beginning of the psalm for us to understand how does God show his strength? How does he beat his foes, his enemies? How does he silence those who are in opposition to him? How does he rule his vast creation from one end to the other? Is it with an iron fist? Is it with fear, domination, manipulation? Isn't this how the kings and the lords of the earth do it? But not our Lord. He shows his strength by elevating the weak. Not strong, elemental, universal beings capable of great feats of strength, intellect and charisma, but instead faithful children. What does a baby bring to the table of war or to a ruler's throne? Does a baby bring a strength of arm or a voice? Does it bring weaponry, a keen mind for strategy? Of course, the answer is no. A baby cannot even stand on its own two legs, let alone command a universe. A baby's strength rests in its faithful reliance upon its father, the one in whom it calls for. And it is with a baby's faith, with humble men and women and children, that God defeats all of his enemies and rules his creation. So tell me, is man small when God uses them in such powerful ways? I don't think so. Would you consider a person of little value in the universe if that, when they are used to lay waste to the enemies of God? I don't think so. We are crowned with glory and honour. Only a little lower than God. We are not small in His plans. It is with this in mind that the psalmist is crying out, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. 
Look at what he has done. Can you and I join him in saying that this morning? Perhaps a few of us can. But maybe there are some here who can't because maybe they're still, maybe we are in awe of creation, even in awe of God. But the sound of the role that we have been put in, one over creation, does not put us in a position of praise. Perhaps it feels like another responsibility where we are already struggling with the few that we have here just in our homes. Or perhaps we are wrestling with the guilt of how well we are doing this role. How well is humanity doing at being rulers of God's creation? Climate change, extinct animals, overtaxing Earth's resources, recycling. I know there are lots of different opinions about all these things and how to do them and who's to blame, but in general, the idea that humanity has in recent decades and centuries gone too far and sealed the fate of the planet is actually a fairly accepted one. Things are at change in the world. And a great portion of that is attributed to the poor job that we have done as the world's rulers. It is a mistake, however, to think that it is our greenhouse gas emissions that have stuffed up the planet, or our materialism, or anything else that the news tells us is what's caused the issue with our world. These certainly have an effect, but they are not the root of the problem. They are not what sits at the core of why the earth is struggling. Our earth's noose was tied the moment that sin entered the world at the hands of its rulers, of those who were in charge of it. So much time, money and resources goes into identifying and trying to understand and seek solutions to the ailments that the world has. When the Bible has spoken the truth of these issues all along, the problem is sin. In our sin, we stepped away from our God-given role. Remember the words that Satan gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He offered them and told them to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what would happen? We would become like God. He said we would become more capable, more powerful. This is exactly the opposite of what we saw God talking about, about using the innocent and the weak. We wanted our significance inside of the universe to no longer rest upon the Father that we called out upon, but instead be in and of ourselves. We would bring strength and power and intelligence of our own to the table. We would increase our own value. We would become more than rulers of creation and become gods in our own right. And we stepped away from God, stepped away from our reliance on Him. And did what Satan say come true? Did His promises come true? Did we become stronger? more valuable? Is the world doing better? Are we guilt-free of the pollution and the abuse of creation? No. Hebrews 2, uh, 8 to 9, that is way too far. Forget that. Hebrews 2, 6 to 8 says, and this is quoting our psalm, 
and then going on a little further. What are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them? You have made them a little, uh, a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside of their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them. With God, we were babies, humble and incapable, but still held up into glory and made so much more. So what does it mean to step away from God? We say goodbye to the glory and honour that he gave. And in verse 8, it says that we say goodbye to being rulers of creation. This is certainly not a place where we can say with the psalmist, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But as the psalmist didn't leave us feeling small beforehand, neither does the author of Hebrews leave us feeling guilty because the verses continue on after verse 8, but we'll reread 8 again. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside of their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus. Jesus became like us in our brokenness, but reclaimed the glory and the honour that we had thrown away in our foolishness. Through his death, he passed on by grace opportunity. All who repent and believe in him might once more take up position before the Lord as rulers again of creation. Jesus offers restoration to a position a little lower than heavenly beings. A position that we have seen is massive, is beautiful. The psalmist, when he wrote his psalm about the majesty of God, didn't consider the consequences of sin and humanity's fall from glory. He sang of the majesty of God as a hope for the future. But we can sing of it with the assurance of a risen Christ. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have created an incredible and beautiful universe and world. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You gave humanity a position of glory and honour, of rulership and dominion. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Even in our most pitiful moment, in our rejection of you and all that you have given us, you sent your Son to become like us, and to restore us. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you being in awe of what you have created. The work of your fingers is moons and stars and 
things that we cannot even comprehend the size of. And yet your attention seems to be focused upon us. In all of this space, you look on us, such small figures in the universe, and you see us as valuable. And you put us in a position of incredible power, of incredible glory and honour. Father, we give thanks and we want to be able to say with the psalmist, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, Lord. And we praise you for how you created us. And Lord, we repent as well. Lord, for anyone here, myself included, that is feeling it now, Lord, we repent for what we threw away. We repent because you put us in such an incredible position of love and honour. And all we had to do was continue to just call for you. And you would use us in amazing ways. And yet we desired more. You weren't enough. The one whose glory is above the heavens was not enough for those who are barely a dust mote in the universe. Forgive us, Father. We are foolish to sin, to choose anything other than you and what you have offered. You have given that dust mote so much more than we could ever achieve on our own. We give thanks that you did not leave us in that position that now when we repent and we turn to you and fix our eyes upon your Son, we may enter again into a position of glory and honour because of him. We give thanks that you did not abandon that dust mote, that you considered us worthy, or considered us valuable, Lord, not worthy, but valuable, even when we held no value. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.